This is an ASCII Live media production for the Manly Warringah Sea Eagles official podcast channel. This is the Golden Eagles podcast, hosted by Manly media manager Wayne Cousins, along with Sea Eagles Premiership winner and chairman of the Golden Eagles Association, Mark Bryant. Each week, Cuzzo and Boxy will be joined by a different Sea Eagles legend to relive some great moments from our proud history and to find out what each of the guys are up to now. The Golden Eagles podcast is proudly presented by Wormald, a classic sponsor of the mighty Manly Warringah Sea Eagles. Now over to Cuzzo and Boxy with this week's special guest. And welcome back to another episode of the Golden Eagles podcast. Apologies again for Wayne Cousins. Um, seems as though the uh, surgery looking for his sense of humour uh, had to go deeper than what they thought. Um, so Cuzzo's still out of action, but we still wish uh, Cuzzo a speedy recovery and hopefully we'll have him back shortly for our next guest. But today, uh, joined by another very old mate of mine and uh, former Seagulls captain, player number 484 in Michael Monaghan. Monas, welcome. Bonjour, mate. Bonjour. <laughs> Spent a bit of time in France as well, by the sounds of that. But um, that's about all I got to. <laughs> mate, we'll go through your career a bit today, and uh, obviously, I'm part of the coaching staff at the Seagulls now, and um, get a bit of a bit of an idea on how much Des is stressing you out, and um, if you can tell us uh, a few things about him. But if we wind back to 2001 to 2003 at the mighty Canberra Raiders, which is where we f- actually first met, my first memories of Monas were the grey XL. I used to go over this grey XL uh, with a flat top uh, with a uh, ACT baseball cap. That sounds about you, rocking that down uh, d- down the main drag. Oh, you know, it uh, <laughs> used to get a run every now and then. It was more for sun protection, mate, wearing hats in those oh, well, days. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, like I said, we've known each other a fair while and you know, just a young kid from Cuda coming up to the big smoke <laughs> of Canberra and, you know, trying to trying to do your best to uh, make your way in life. So, oh, absolutely. And look where you are now. Yeah, mate, you took me under your wing and yeah. look at it, look at us go. But, mate, some good years back then um, at the Raiders, actually, 2001, 2003. As I said, 31 matches, seven tries. So you bagged a couple of meaties in there. Um, moved down to Manly after that, 2004. To to uh, 2007, played 95 matches um, here for the Mighty Eagles, 17 tries. So you got across the try line a fair bit. Oh yeah, I was not quite as prolific as the other Monaghan in the family, but uh, you know, I wasn't blessed with with speed, so to get across the stripe. Happy days, mate. Happy days. Two goals, seven field goals though. Yeah, hundred percent. Can snap goal one. kicking too. Can snap so one. yeah, could could kick a decent field goal, and you know, popped a couple over uh, off the tee for for the two points. So I think I'm the equal leading goal kicker in the history of rugby league. Well, 100%. Yep. 100%, mate. You cannot you cannot get any better than that. And obviously, um, forge your name, club legend for the mighty Warrington Wolves. Uh, 192 games over there and 144 points. Some good times over there. I don't think we beat you for the teams that I played for once. So, And I th- I'm pretty sure there's a couple of times. Sure got within 30, to be honest. No, but... to be honest, there's not. Because remember the, uh, was it the 2009 World Club Challenge? We were London Broncos. We're playing you guys um down at uh, down yeah. at Warrington, and all the Manly boys came yeah, down. Yeah. I distinctly remember Darcy Lussick putting his head around the corner and and, and spraying me um, and having a laugh and walking off. But um, yeah, yeah some, was, some good times. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, catch up with all the boys after, and yeah, I think we we probably got a few against you that day as well. So I think you pumped us by forty. So yeah. thanks for being nice. And Rough day, was, tough day in the office. Then. <laughs> well, there was one. There was one game I do remember, and I was thinking, I'm, I'm looking up, and you had a great pack over there, Adrian Morley, and all those sorts of boys playing. I looked up, and there's my old mate Monas. I thought I'm just going to run straight at this bastard and see how we go. Anyway, you absolutely smashed me and knocked the ball out. And I looked at you and said, what are you doing to me? And you laughed and ran off. So 
It was, yeah, it was turns which shoulder you ran at because I had a bad left shoulder. My right shoulder wasn't too bad. I remember I actually got a shot on Kylie Lulo. I, no, no offense no, no. to you, mate, but no. I got one on Kylie, which is, is probably the, the tackle I was happiest with in my career. Absolutely. I come out of the line, I thought I'm going to, uh, I'm going to have a crack here and I'm either going to hurt myself or I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to get a point on Kylie. So oh. I got the shoulder on the ball, force the error and live to tell the tale. Oh, mate. He used to come flying out of the line trying to belt everyone, especially me. And I'm proud to say he never got me. The big guy, lovely bloke. Lovely oh, bloke. One of the greats. Yeah. Oh, mate. But just, you know, the devil horns would come out um, as soon as he crossed that white stripe and then straight back to, uh, straight back to church, uh, straight after it. Yeah, since the Vessa. For a, for a bloke that's uh, so big on the church, I don't think I've ever heard someone that lies so much oh. about, about oh, to get himself out of training at the very least. So, yeah, he's got plenty to confess. Plenty, plenty. Good man, though. Good man. So, mate, take us back um, first grade debut, 2001, um, Canberra versus Cronulla at the old Bruce Stadium, coming off the interchange bench. What's um, your first memories of being named, I suppose, and, and getting that news and then, um, you yeah, know, taking the field? Yeah, too, I don't remember too much of actually being named or, or any of that. I, I think actually Joel had debuted the same year. I think maybe a month earlier or something like that. So it was it was a big sort of period there for the family. Obviously, the old man, as you know, is one of the great Raiders tragics, big well, stew. rugby league tragics, and big stew, great man. Um, yeah, so I'm sure he's probably got better recollection of, of what the week was like when I debuted because you know he, he lived it pretty heavy in those days. And yeah, I remember the game itself. I I think a couple of wingers got injured, and you know I'd come on the bench and I was going to come on at, at halfback, and I ended up playing on the wing. I think it was about 20 minutes in and both our wingers got injured and I got the call and I think it was Russell Richardson was was playing out wide for them and he was built like a brick shitter. Yeah. yeah, and I remember the first tackle I tried to make, he, he sort of ran over the top of me and stood on my face and at the end of the game I had about four stud marks on my face and, and that was my introduction into first grade footy. Made a great introduction yeah. there, absolutely. And I suppose in that time we, uh, we won a reserve grade premiership in there too, didn't we? Yeah, we did. 2003. 2003, yeah. I think I'd played, I think it was the year maybe I possibly broke my jaw. And it was. Uh, yep. I hadn't played much and I'd been playing first grade, broke my jaw and come back through reserve grade and we end up, I, I'd sort of finished the year and thought the season was over and was went on Mad Monday and actually uh, dyed the hair black for me, me outfit. I went as a Maverick from Top Gun and died at Jet Black. And next thing I got the call from the reserve grade coach said, how do you want to go? Do you yeah. want to play in the playoffs for reserve grade? And I said, okay, here we go. So I uh, ended up playing the game. I remember the, the game was the grand final was on telly. And for the first 20 minutes, the, the uh, commentator didn't know who was who I was because I had jet black hair jet, and jet, jet black, black eyebrows and couldn't work out who the who the number seven was. Right, it was a good it was a good team that one. We actually used to beat the uh, reserve uh, sorry the first grade in opposed most weeks um, yeah. was which was pretty funny. But Chris Hicks Spider used to play on the he played in the wing that game for uh, for Penrith didn't he? Yeah, you know, I remember I'd signed to to go to Manly and I knew he'd signed and uh, sort of said good day to him after the game after we'd, we'd beat him in that final and um, first day rocking up to Manly we, I remember it, uh, we met at a college uh, in Freshwater I think it was and first bloke when I walked in was Hicksy and um, straight away sat next to each other and had a bit of a laugh when Des come in and started giving his talk and <laughs> you know, from then on it was uh, we were pretty solid pretty solid good old spider and mate so fast forward um, obviously signed to come down to the Seagulls um, at the end of 2003 so for the 2004 season um, club debut versus is North Queensland, uh, round one as halfback, a 24-20 win. Um, Des, the uh, the coach, of course, but Beaver, captain at that stage. What was Beaver like as a captain? 
you know, really good. Beef, I think everyone knows him. He's he's probably not much for, for words and talking. He, he generally leads by his actions and that was sort of him. He he sort of, you know, let the halves and the, the sort of those type of influential players sort of dictate that and, and when something needed to be said, he'd say it. But generally it was, you know, what he did on the field. He, you know, led defensively and just his his preparation and you could see his um his attitude to training was mm. um was pretty good. So that was sort of how he led and it was an easy bloke to follow really beef. One thing I can't get my head around, if Beaver was the captain, because every time I played with Beaver, he would have to be the last one out of the sheds because he's got a fimble for a bladder. So he'd always have to go for a leak before he'd come out. So I don't know how he leads a team out and, and how he didn't wet his pants out in the field. Uh, it's a mystery. But, uh, yeah, there was, there was a few of the boys had those little uh, little things, little strange uh, idiocies there at uh, at the club at the time. NB, NBQ, he had, a, he had a good one. Oh, he, Nick Bradley Galilawa. Oh, yeah, it's plenty of strange habits. <laughs> old, old NBQ. The shower, the shower before the, yeah. uh, the, shower yeah, before the game. Yeah, Chockey used to throw up before every game and, <laughs> you know, dry reaching and heaving and used to make other blokes crook. So, yeah, we had a few interesting characters back then and it's a really good squad and a good bunch of blokes there as well. Good bunch of blokes. Previous to that, um, played 18 games at halfback uh, that season, 2004, your first at the club. Um, fast forward 2005, knocked out in the qualifying final to Parramatta um, and you play uh, all season at halfback. Scores a hat-trick of tries for Manly in round two win over Cronulla, 46-20 to 20 at Brookvale. Yeah, and, and no one remembers it. The John Hoppawati elbow to Keith Galloway game. Oh, yeah, yes. So it scored me hat trick. It was all the the game was about. All it's remembered for is Hopper coming in on the, on the shot on Absolutely. Keithy Galloway. So. I, I mean, I remember seeing him this flash coming. What the hell is that? Nooks is Hopper, and next thing, oh, Keithy, he's just um, he's snoring in the middle. Yeah, he, uh, he <laughs> certainly got him. But, but it was actually it was actually a really good win for the club. You know, because Hop got sent off, and uh, we played a lot of the game with twelve players, and mm. we had a lot of games at Brookie Oval in that sort of period where. Some really good wins, you know, a couple of real good comeback wins. I remember we, Penrith, we were twenty odd points down, come back and won in the second half. You know, a couple of those, you know, games that you really remember from Brookie in that period and mm. Part of the best moments of your career, you know, those Sunday afternoon bookie game. Absolutely. And I, I remember, you know, you're telling stories now and, you know, telling the kids now. And um, those days were what, where I suppose the fortress really got its name because when teams had come down here to play, they knew they were in for it. And you could see, because we used to remember, we used to warm up on St. Augustine's Oval, then walk back across. And it was before the addition had been made to the grandstand. That day where there was, you know, there's 25,000 people there. It was it was a huge day, but they were, they were great days in the sun. Oh, it was, you know, played at three different clubs, a couple of, continents and there's you know one game you'd like to go back and play it's a, a Sunday afternoon at Brookvale there's you know, just something really special about it and you know the atmosphere and it's just a great place to play footy and then you could head down the wharf bar for a beer after the oh, game ter- was... terrible place for a schooner terrible, terrible place for a beer yeah, truth be, truth be no because remember we were at Canberra together as, as we said previously but when I knew I wanted to get out of Canberra I thought where do I want to go and live up here and I thought oh the Seagulls anyway I thought Monas yeah Mick he's the, he's down there he's the captain now anyway so I gave Monas a call he put in a good word for me so thanks buddy yeah, yeah got me Robbo in. up here as well, so yeah, right. I mightn't have played in the uh, grand final in 08, but but mate, you can take some. You, you, yeah, you can take credit for Robbo that. there. How many did he score that day? Well, you should take probably at least two of those tries. Yeah, I reckon. Where's my ring? <laughs> well, mate. So um, fast forward uh, to 2007. Obviously, 2006, um, you played a bit of the season at uh, at five eight, but then moved into uh, into hooker. We were knocked out by the Dragons uh, in that semi. BK's last game, of course. 2007 um, played 26 games uh, and losing in the GF. Now. 
well, it never happened, mate. This is the thing. I remember Glenn Hall and I actually, when they announced that we were overseas and he was down staying with us in Chester and we actually called Des and said, listen, we don't want the ring. We just want to come back for Mad Monday. Can you yeah. put it on? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, had, I had plenty in the 2008 Mad Monday. <laughs> I think I was about the last bloke left. Mate, it was great. Yeah, it was the best. <laughs> yeah, I flew into town, went and watched the game and then uh, had three days uh, on the drink with this all. It was great. Only only three. Well, I thought it went for longer. But anyway, yeah, that, mate, that, yeah. I, I don't really remember. Yeah. But mate, yeah, 26 games. I mean, playing in that GF, I guess it was for us that year, it was a bit of the unknown, you know, not many of us had actually been to the big dance. How did you find that week, um, you know, leading into it? Yeah, it was, it was weird. It was probably something I found through me, my whole career was, you know, I played in three challenge cups in England and a couple of grand finals over there and the grand final here. And it was weird. None of the games, those real big games I ever got nervous for, but pretty much every other game in my career I did. I guess once you make your grand final, win or lose, you feel like you've, you know, achieved something mm. where, you know, here playing, you know, when South, you know, used to be bottom of the table playing South on a Sunday at Brookie, that I used to get really nervous for because the expectation, I, you know, I hated losing mm. uh, more so than winning. It, yep. I, I didn't really, you know, enjoy the, you know, the victory. It was more, I just didn't want to lose. So it was, it was weird. Those grand finals, I expected to be really nervous. And that was obviously the first big final I played in. Expected to be really nervous and was just, really calm all week and even before the game sat in the sheds expecting okay at some stage I'm going to get really nervous like I normally do and mm. just nothing it was yeah ran out and um, unfortunately you know we didn't get the result we were sort of in it at half time and you know they had a, a fair squad at the time uh, Melbourne and probably a million dollar over the cap well, squad even mine is if well, we want to go deep on it you know yeah but uh, yeah they were you know Inglis Smith um, you know, all those guys, Slater, it was you know, a pretty daunting opposition to play, but you know, it certainly built the foundations for that following year when the club ended up dominating them in the grand final and you know, really set the tempo for you know, a big few years for the club and a pretty golden period there. Mm, absolutely. And I guess, um, you know, as you mentioned, you know, went overseas uh, after that in 2008 to 2014, 192 games for the uh, Warrington Wolves. There was a stop-off uh, in 2008, though, where yourself and Chris Hicks um, met us in Las Vegas for the end of season trip yeah. um that was that was quite special you know, <laughs> it was it? yeah it was a good trip yeah it was uh yeah great i think five or six days in vegas there and um yeah, i remember, <laughs> remember we at four in the morning we'd been on the drink for a couple of days and so i wanted to go skydiving and <laughs> hicksie <laughs> was all in so yep. we booked it and yep. next day when hicksie realized what we'd actually done he uh he wasn't wasn't too happy about it. He wasn't that keen, but we ended up doing it. So yeah. that was uh, good times. I suppose it's one of those things that, um, and what I found special about, you know, the Seagulls is that, um, you know, even once you're gone, you know, you're always welcome back. Um, and um, and especially to, you know, to a drink and especially in yeah. Las Vegas. So, yeah. so that was good. Apparently we're going to do the reunion tour um, soon enough anyway. So uh, we're, we're done. I know Hicks will be down for it. And, well, uh, I'll put my hand up. So. In. We're definitely in. Well, just heard the halftime siren. So we're going to take a quick break now, hear from our sponsors uh, and be right back talking to uh, Michael Monaghan. The Golden Eagles podcast is proudly presented by Wormald, a classic sponsor of the Manly Warringah Sea Eagles. Wormald is a leading provider of fire protection solutions, helping to protect Australian people and property for over 130 years. Wormald's expertise spans the design, manufacture, installation and service of fire safety products and equipment backed up with a comprehensive range of fire services from engineering advice to fire safety training. You can rely on Wormald to help protect you. Visit wormald.com.au. 
Welcome back to the Golden Eagles podcast, uh, minus our other fantastic anchor, Cuzzo. Uh, I uh, hope you're getting well, Cuzzo. Um, speaking with Michael Monaghan today, player 484 for the mighty uh, Maroon and White. Now, we've just gone through uh, early days, um, covered off the Canberra Raiders early in, in the career. Now, 2008, after that loss, um, 2007 grand final, head across to uh, to Warrington uh, in the Super League, won the 2009 and 2010 Challenge Cup finals versus Huddersfield and Leeds respectively and also winning the Lance Todd Trophy for Man of the Match in 2009. Pretty special times over there for uh, for the Wolves. Yeah, it was going on the back of that grand final with with Manly. It was you know, just a new challenge and I'd sort of signed to go at really early in the year, I think. Um, I was playing hooker and was doing okay. And uh, I think Ox was playing halfback. He got injured early in the season. I played five or six games at halfback and went really well. And I think Andrew Johns was meant to be going to Warrington. And I think he'd had that uh, issue with his neck. So he actually threw my name up to Warrington and said he might be interested in going over. And so I signed early in the year and ended up really enjoying my season at hooker. And probably by the end of the year, if if he'd asked if I wanted to go, I probably would have said no. Because um, I was really enjoying playing hooker and you know started to play some decent footy there, so I you know, went over to England and, and went back to halfback and you know we had some really inconsistent years the first couple and then Tony Smith who you know some fans from out here who know played for the Dragons. Mm-hmm. He was coaching over there and, and sort of when he came in at the club, just had a real injection of professionalism. And, you know, the English game was pretty strong at that time, but, you know, probably professionalism wasn't, you know, its strong point. So, you know, once he came in and, and you know, and offered that, um, our team really took off and, like you said, ended up winning three Challenge Cups and uh, lucky enough to get myself the uh, the Lance Todd, which was, was pretty big. And, you know, it was great. The club got to, you know, hold the trophy up uh, at Wembley, Wembley, you know, quite a famous ground and parents were there and um, had family there. So, you know, not just for me to be able to, to go over there and, you know, win something, but to then have parents over there and, you know, later on in my career, Joel, getting to win the Challenge Cup with Joel at, at Wembley was, you know, was pretty special. Wembley is a ground, I suppose, um, pretty iconic ground and, you know, 90,000 people. I remember watching that game down in good old South Wales um, after you'd flogged us, um, you know, most games. Just a huge crowd, you know, the the amount of fans and, and the great day out there. It's uh, And it's it's huge over there, the Challenge Cup, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, it's, it's the oldest rugby league competition in the world. You know, you look at how long everything's been going here in Australia and uh, like even the club number like club number 484 I think I am my club number at Warrington was 1106 or something like that so it just mm. tells you how long the game's been going over there and, and how much history there is and you know like you said the crowds over there are something pretty special and it's weird like the the game at Wembley you know we had 90 odd thousand even the grand final we played here against Melbourne was 90 odd thousand but you know to get into that first final we played a, a game against Wigan who were our local rivals and we played it at a neutral ground which was witness 12,000 people there and the atmosphere in that game was better than any any game I played at Wembley or Old Trafford where we played two grand finals or the the uh, grand final here in Australia was 12,000 and it was just unbelievable, the atmosphere. The crowds over there are amazing, aren't they? They just don't shut up from start to finish. You know, I remember you know, my, some of my memories, you know, of obviously, you know, Warrington grounds, but, you know, Headingley and, and the bigger clubs over there, the Wiggins, the St. Helens, they just, um, they, they sing and, and carry on the whole game, don't they? Oh, it's crazy. It's, you know, like fans here, they come to watch the game. The fans over there... Watching the game's part of it, but they're, they're coming there for a day out. They want to have a go at the opposition, who they're playing. And like you said, you know, they sing from minute one to minute 80. And it just, you know, it makes a, a real atmosphere at the games. And, you know, it's it's something probably the one of the big things you remember from my time over in England is, you know, just the atmosphere at those grounds. Mm. And um, tell us about, so you played in two Super League grand finals, defeat uh, Leeds Rhinos in 2012, uh, and then the Wigan Warriors in 2013 at Old Trafford, another iconic ground. What was it like playing? at Old Trafford? It was probably the, the real contrast from the Challenge Cup finals a day game. It's uh, about two o'clock 
you know, it's a real party atmosphere. And you know, what happens with the cup, because you don't know who's in it till very late once the semifinals are, are organised, fans from all teams end up there. So it's a real party atmosphere. It's the first one we had, I think, 35,000 Warrington fans down there. And then you go to Old Trafford, it's a night game and it's, you know, it's a real thick atmosphere. It's really different to Wembley. So... Yeah, I probably enjoyed the Wembley ones more so because we won, but also the atmosphere, that party atmosphere. And I, I like playing day games as well. So, yeah, unfortunately, the, the two grand finals, I think both of them we were leading at half time. The first one against Leeds, a little bit like you know ourselves in 2007, probably weren't ready for that big final. The next one against Wigan, you know, we were the better team. And unfortunately, before half time, I think we were 16 2 up, and uh, Joel knocked himself out a couple of minutes for half time. And then we lost our fullback a minute into the second half. And so all of a sudden we're down two outside backs and um, went from leading 16-2 and ended up losing 30-16. to 16. So probably the, the one disappointing game from my career in terms of, you know, I think the grand final in 07 here probably weren't good enough at the time. The first grand final over there, probably still not good enough, but that one, I think we were definitely the better team and probably should have won that game. So Injuries on the, on the day. Yeah, that played a big part. Mm. Um, you know, you think losing a wing is not a, a big thing, but you know, at the time, Joel was, was you know was, really yeah. good player. Yep. And they ended up scoring a couple of tr- tries down that edge where we'd had to put some makeshift players in, and, and we had to move some of the fullback. So it's probably that one game in my career where there's that little bit of disappointment about the result. No, couldn't agree more. And uh, mate, 2014 announced your retirement at the end of the season. How was the body at that stage? The body was all right. I'd, I'd had a few concussions in... You should have said chiselled and yeah, ripped. Well, but anyway, that's fine. Keep moving <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, uh, I'd had a few concussions in the in the last few years of my career and that sort of started to pile up and, and just thought I had a few little memory issues and some things like that. And physically, I was I was still good to play and probably had another two or three years in me. You know, while Super League's a really competitive game, it's, it's not that week-in, week-out grind that you get in the NRL. You know, there's some teams down the bottom end of the table that, you know, some weeks you you got a little bit of an easier time of it. So it was, you know, probably still had two or three years left, but just thought at the time after a few concussions that I'd rather be retiring one year too early than one year too late. Sort of made that decision to retire and luckily enough got straight into a, a coaching gig over in France. Yeah. So mate, tell us about the coaching gig over in France. So obviously um, season 2015, how was the culture? I mean, we used to go from England over to there to play, you know, the Catalans. Um, usually we'd go over and stay with Beaver because he was over there for a week and, you know, eat some good food on the beach and stuff. C- complete contrast to, uh, to, to, the north of England. Yeah, it was. And um, the only coaching job that was available at the time. So me and my wife got married out here. She's English. We got married Palm Beach basically after I retired. And then I got on a plane and went to France. She got on a plane and went to England. And for the next three years, we saw each other every second weekend. So, uh, which is probably why we're still married. But, <laughs> but the, the culture, like I said, the culture over there is it's something different altogether. It, you know, the north of England is, you know, so different to Australia. But then to go to a Catalan region, it was really special. And um, I actually kind of wish I'd, I'd played there a few years at the end of my career. I didn't realise just from going over that weekend when you'd have a game over there, you know, how big a footy town it is. It's, you know, southern France, you've got football around rugby, but the town of Perpignan is a real real rugby league um, mm. area and they really immerse themselves in, in the culture and the game when you move over there and um, had some really good times over there and, and really enjoyed the coaching and, and the culture. Yep. And so you took charge there in 2017, was it, with uh, Jerome Jusue? Remember, well, Jerome was at Canberra, yeah, he wasn't was, he? Uh, it was crazy how, you know, like, you know, our sort of careers have intertwined. Mm. Uh, even like I heard you talking about Danny Lima there earlier. Yeah. I sort of followed him. He, yeah. he was at Canberra, then he moved to Manly. I followed him, then he moved to War- uh, to Warrington. I followed him. And so it's, yeah, it's sort of weird. And um, yeah, Jerome, you know, was coming through. He went to Arendelle College. He was a year above me. And when I moved to France, he was one of the other assistant coaches. So sort of got to know him really well. And then 2000, 
2017, the head coach, uh, fortunately got, got sacked and, and me and Jerome took over for, for four or five weeks um, and ended up signing Steve McNamara. Uh, who'd been at the Roosters and, yep. and he came over and then I, I did a year with him. So yeah, it was a, a real experience taking over. Unfortunately, uh, they've still got a lot to learn about how to manage and to manage a club over there, but they've had some success recently and um, some, some really good talent coming out of there as well now. Mate, then finally moving back um, to the Seagulls, uh, 2018, uh, joined the club as uh, Pathways and, and uh, Specialist Coach. Um, and assistant under Des uh, this year. How have you found, I suppose, Des being coached by him and then, um, you know, the change up to being actually, you know, as a part of that coaching team, you know, the difference in, in him? How have, you, how have you found working under him? Yeah, I think when Des first come in was he came in with that real attitude about working hard and old school training techniques, but he started to filter in a little bit of the science and the technology side of it the advancements then go through 12 years or whatever it's been and and now this you know you still got the old school training but there's so much more now Des, you know focus on in you know the health well-being the technological side of it you know data and, and so much of, of what he does is based around data and mm. gives you a, a pragmatic look at, at how everything you know what targets we need to hit and all that type of stuff so you know seeing how he's evolved as a, a coach from you know obviously when he was raw with us and to where he is now, he's the consummate professional. Um, that's probably the biggest thing that, that jumps out of you know, whether you're learning the technical stuff of him, off him or you know, how he man manages people. What he does is he, he works 24-7 and he makes sure that whether you're another coach under him or a player, that you're as prepared as possible for your next performance. Win or lose, you can never question whether you're prepared. And that's probably you know, if this year to last year. The preparation's any different. It's just, unfortunately, we haven't got the results, whether that's, you know, injuries or other things. But the, the one thing every player will tell you is when they ran out in the field on the weekend, they were prepared. And that was one one thing he made sure of. And what are your thoughts? You know, obviously, NRL coaching, a lot of pressure under it, um, a lot of scrutiny as well. Uh, I guess, you know, social media and things like that have given platforms for people to throw in there. But what are, what are your thoughts? How have you handled, I, I guess, um, or, or does Des takes the heat? You're the, you're, you're the assistant sort of, um, you know, working underneath him. How, how do you see that? I guess that's the head coach's job a little bit. But that's, like you said, we're in a, a sort of a new age now where there's so much social media and the pressure on coaches has obviously increased massively. And, and you look at sports. Sports all around the world, whether it's the NRL or NFL, basketball, the the lifespan of a, a head coach at a club now has decreased dramatically because of the influence of social media and, and the pressure on owners and all that to, to get results. I guess the temptation to get rid of coaches a little bit quicker now has, has certainly gone up. And you know, it's you look at a season like we had this year, you know, automatically the, the pressure goes on. But I, I guess the good thing about Des is the pressure from outside; it's not going to be any greater than the pressure that he puts on himself. And mm. and that's the same with myself being under Des and whether this pressure from outside it's you know I want to win and all the coaching staff want to win so the pressure from outside is not going to be any greater than we put on ourselves and you know I was like that and I'm sure you were like that as a mm-hmm. player it's you know when you hear people talking about how players don't care and, and all that you know I don't think I've ever played with a player that, that didn't care and didn't hate losing more than any fan Absolutely. but that's part of being a fan is that emotional connection and and sometimes you know it doesn't quite balance out with what's actually happening um, mm. you know and, and that's part of the sport we're in. It's weird because, you know, I think back to my playing days where I can remember every mistake that I ever made, but you ask about tries and this sort of stuff. I'm like, mm, a little bit hazy on that because you hold yourself to that high standard that if you knew that you'd stuffed up and you'd cost the team something, you know, and you knew that Des was going to point it out to you at the video session going, what were you doing here? That sort of thing. But didn't think that he would have changed. I suppose he's lucky to have ex-manly men and players who who know the culture uh, and have those high expectations and that will to, to win in there as well, helping these young 
young guys through. Last couple of points, Kieran Foran, Foz coming back, been a half for a majority of your career as well. What are your thoughts about uh, Foz coming back? I think it can only be good for us. You know, there's a couple of aspects to it. Obviously, um, he's a really experienced player and you know, been a, a quality player for a long time. So we've got some young halves coming through, Cade Cust, Josh Schuster. So, you know, they can only get real benefit from playing with him, training with him, being around him. But he's also a quality player. You know, he's going to add that to us, whether it's a hooker has been suggested, whether it's at 5'8". What he'll bring to us, just an added bit of quality. You know, and you look next year if we've got a, you know, a spine of turbo on the field, Chez, Foz, walks whoever that combination is cast schuster there's a lot of quality around that and, and just having his experienced head will uh, help us know when there so you know hopefully get himself fit and firing and you know we'll certainly get a, a lot of benefit out of him and you just mentioned a couple of young players there in uh, in the likes of cast and, and schuster any others um, that you've seen this year that you've been impressed by um, the way they've been carrying themselves or any coming through the ranks that we haven't quite spotted as yet well i mean He's probably already jumped out now is um, Tanyel Paseka. You know, he's taken a real big jump, but I think there's even a lot more to come from him. Um, Obviously, losing Adam means we're we're now looking for, you know, another bloke to step up and and take that leadership role. And the development I've seen in him in in the last sort of six months is pretty impressive um, good, just the little things he's added to his game he, you know when he first came in he was probably just happy to be there but you can see now that he's got real confidence in how he's playing he's starting to add little bits to his game um, a couple offloads there back end of the year defensively starting to get some real whack and, and knowing how to put himself in position to make tackles better so that big jump I think he's, he's going to go an even bigger jump next year and he'll end up I think next year one of the better front rollers in the competition and then we've got some other guys you know Alec Tavaki coming in and we've still got some young guys that you know, we had a couple of young guys probably that think they had some down years this year after some really good work last year, but you now that's part of being a, a first grade footballer. Is mm. you know it's not there's not many players in their career where it's all ups the whole career. Now, apart from probably Cameron Smith and a couple of those Melbourne boys, you even look at the Roosters. The Roosters were I think 14th, finished 14th or 15 only four or five years ago, and they've gone on to to dominate the comp for the last few years. So it's like that with players. Is you know it's not too often that you you start out at first grade and everything's on a trajectory up. You have those little bumps, and that's how you learn to be a better player and a better person. Well said, mate. Well said. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Um, thanks for joining us, mate. Michael Monaghan, player number 484 for the Mighty Seagulls. Cheers, Monas. All the best for uh, for next year, mate. We look forward to uh, to getting back where we, where we should be at the top after that ladder. We will be. This has been the Golden Eagles podcast, presented by Wormald and recorded in the studios of Manly Media partner, ASCII Live Media. You can follow the Seagulls on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. For more episodes and other official Seagulls podcast channel shows, head to seagulls.com.au forward slash podcast. This has been an ASCII Live Media production for the Manly Warringah Seagulls official podcast channel. Thank you.